In high-resource settings, survival from some childhood cancers can be greater than 80%. However, in low-resource settings, it can be less than 20%. But why is this, and how can we address this disparity? That is exactly what we're exploring over the next two episodes. Stay tuned to find out more. The Global Oncology Podcast is a series of interviews conducted by myself, Dr. Katie Piddock, with experts in the field of global oncology. Our guest for the next two episodes has had an instrumental role in developing paediatric cancer services in the lake zone of Tanzania. We're grateful to be able to learn from her wealth of knowledge about the challenges and practicalities of capacity development. This is none other than Dr. Kristin Schrader, an assistant professor from Duke Global Health Institute. Dr. Schrader spends half of her time in the US and half in Tanzania, so is able to share her unique perspective of the field. Please do get involved and let us know what you think. You can tweet us at GlobalOncPod or check out our website GlobalOncologyPodcast.com where you will find key references with each episode. And we can now be found on SoundCloud, Spotify and iTunes. Welcome to the Global Oncology Podcast. Dr. Kristin Schrader, thank you very much for joining us. You're currently working in Mwanza in Tanzania as an assistant professor at Duke University and you're spending half your time here where we are currently in Mwanza and half your time in the US. So originally you started out, I understand, with a master's in public health and then did your medical training, then internship and residency in paediatrics. So that was in University of North Carolina, is that right? So the medical school I went to Georgetown, and okay. then I did my internship residency, both pediatrics at University of North Carolina. Thank you. And then in terms of fellowships, you then moved on to hemato-oncology and then neuro-oncology, and also a fellowship in global health most recently. Okay. So you've also co-founded the Eye Care Foundation, so that's the International Cancer Care and Research Excellence Foundation. So that was founded in 2015, co-founded with Professor Nelson Chow. And so now we're here. I wondered if you could talk to us about your role and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so at Duke University, I am in the Department of Global Health and the Department of Pediatrics and Division of Hematology Oncology. And so there I mostly do pediatric brain tumor um, clinic and then I see patients and work in the hospital on rounds. Here my role is much more of a capacity development um, side and so I spend six months per year here. I do three months in the U.S. and three months in Mwanza and when I'm here basically I am trying to improve care for children with cancer and build a pediatric cancer program here at Bugando Hospital. Thank you. And can you tell us a bit more about the setting here? So Mwanza appears to be, it's relatively similar to a lot of countries that are in Sub-Saharan Africa and that one of the most common things that we frequently see are, early on at least, are tumors that are visible. And so we frequently see Burkitt lymphoma, which is probably one of the most common tumors that we see here. Um, it's something that we don't often see in the U.S. or other areas. Um, so we see that frequently. We also see a lot more Wilms tumors, a lot more retinoblastoma, solid tumors. And a part of the reason for that is that the diagnostic capacity is limited in many rural areas. And so things that are more common in 
say the US or the UK would be leukemia, brain tumors, whereas here, in order to do that, you'd have to have the full blood picture or CBC, which many sites don't, they only can check hemoglobin, so often things like leukemia are missed. Brain tumors, same thing, you have to have imaging, and where many places, we just got our first CT scan here at Buganda recently, and so we were very limited on kind of uh, diagnostic capacity. So I think there are, the distribution appears skewed when you're here, and that you do see things that are more visible that present. But I think the as time goes on and we build capacity, we are starting to see it shift a little bit. And what sort of services can you offer to the children here? So we actually have majority of what would be considered basic services. So we're able to do basic imaging, ultrasound, chest x-ray, um, basic laboratory testing. And then we have most chemotherapy. Pediatrics is unique in that almost all of our chemotherapy that we use, they're off patent. It has been around for 50 plus years. And so we're able to actually source it from generics. And so it's available here. Um, we don't use you know, some of the, the newer medications for many of the pediatric illnesses, um, at least not first line. And so the majority are available and we can provide that for the kids. Um, radiation is available in Tanzania. It's not available for children yet where I am. And then at Buganda Hospital, there are several surgical subspecialties that can provide basic um, surgical resections and things as needed. How many pediatric oncologists are there? There are currently two in the country, okay. including myself. Okay. And that is hopefully going to be changing soon. I think the first pediatric um, oncologist will be finishing, Tanzanian pediatric oncologist will be finishing her training later this year. So we're very excited to have her. And then a second will be finishing in about a year. So I'm excited to have capacity being built from within Tanzania as well. Future mm. workforce of pediatric oncologists here. Yeah, amazing. Are they trained in chemo and radiotherapy? Yeah, so in pediatrics, we're already kind of broad to begin with. We do both hematology and oncology. And so in many of the adult subspecialties, they kind of do just heme malignancies and or benign heme or just solid um, and radiation. And I know there's some programs that do radiation and the clinical oncology combined, which is what they offer in Tanzania for the adult side. But the pediatric side, we still feel pretty strongly about focusing on pediatric hematology and oncology as opposed to, because radiation is not as frequently used, um, we tend to focus more on the clinical oncology aspect. Okay, thank you. So, you've been coming to Tanzania since 2014. Yes. I'm guessing you've seen some pretty big changes, a lot of which you've been involved in. I wondered if you could give us an idea of where pediatric oncology was at back when you first arrived, where it's at now, and then we can maybe go into a bit more detail about things that you think have really been important in terms of making that change. Sure. So when I first came here in 2014, sort of one of the first things that I did was do a needs assessment and figure out what's the baseline here and then what would be needed to kind of build a pediatric cancer program. And so what we discovered at the time, so there was no separate pediatric service, and still is not, but survival was about 20% for pediatric cancer cases. And there were about 80 new diagnoses per year that we were seeing here at Bugando. 
I will say that Bugando just started treating cancer at all in 2010, so it had not been very long that even within the entire lake region there was an area that could even treat cancer. Before then everything was centralized to Ocean Road in Dar es Salaam. So in 2014 there were several diseases that they were able to treat. So Burkitt lymphoma, they had a standard protocol that was being used and the chemotherapies were provided. So that was one thing that was regularly treated here. And then Wilms tumor and a few others, but most cases were not able to be treated without the protocol and the infrastructure to kind of support it. But yeah, so when I first came figuring out what existed and there's, there was a social worker and we had like I said, the chemotherapy available, um, but we didn't have any way of keeping track of what patients we saw and kind of what they had and following up with patients and making sure they actually come for their treatment. So the progression of what happened is after we looked and tried to figure out what exists here and sort of talked with people that were nurses, key stakeholders, nurses that were working here, the other doctors that were working here, the director general of the hospital to get an idea of what they saw as the vision and what they wanted, which was really to increase the ability of the current doctors to be able to care for these children with cancer. And a lot of that comes from the fact that there isn't training available here to even do a subspecialty like pediatric cancer. It's all done in other countries. And so really trying to allow for it to be, children to even be cared for here. So first thing that we did was create a cancer registry. We needed to know what the patients were that we were seeing so that we could then follow and see what kind of impact and what, how things changed as we went forward. So we created the cancer registry. We used SIOP, which is the International Pediatric Oncology Group. Um, we used several protocols that had been adapted for use in low resource settings and kind of had created them, and distributed them, and for some of the most common pediatric cancers that we saw here, so that we could try to standardize treatment depending on whether it was one of the oncologists that saw them or one of the pediatricians that saw some of these children, so that everyone was able to give the same potential treatment for the patients. And then we talked to a lot of families. We did a lot of interviews with families to try to understand where they came from, how they got here. Most families would go to four or five different places before they arrived at Bugando. So many would start off with their traditional healer to try to see if there was something that could be done for whatever it was, whether it was a swelling that they saw, fatigue that they saw. Then they would usually go to their local hospital, which is a health center or a dispensary and then they would go to their district hospital, their referral hospital, or the regional hospital, and then the referral hospital. So many times there were several stops along the way and patients often took several months before they were able to reach Bugando. So we talked to families to figure out what their barriers were and how we could get them to come to the hospital and come earlier. And so obviously cost was a big one and the cost of treatment when they arrived here. And so we, were able to purchase a lot of the chemotherapy and the children were able to get chemotherapy at no charge. So we did all this in the beginning thinking that we were cracking the, the answer to how to increase survival and the reality was a year later there was absolutely no difference. Survival was still at 20% for one year for our patients. And so then we had to go back to the whole drawing board again and figure out what we were missing. And when we looked at it, what we saw was that many of these patients, they started treatment, but over 50% of them abandoned care, meaning that they would get one or two treatments and then never return to continue their treatments. So again, we went back and figured out why. What are the issues? What's going on here? 
education was a big thing. Mm -hmm. Patients, if you have Burkitt lymphoma, you provide two treatments, the swelling is gone. And many times, if you don't see it anymore, the consumption is it's gone and you don't have to finish treatment. So they would go home and not return. And then unfortunately, often returned. So education on what cancer is, education that there are treatments available, and then ways to help support families to actually come and talk to them about many of the other social issues that are going on that are kind of interplay into why families can come and versus not to get therapy. Wow, thank you. So I hadn't realized that you'd done all that initial work, but that's incredible. The wealth of knowledge that you must have about why people do and don't get their care. Well, it, it is, and, and a big part of that is because I was coming from the US, and mm. so I'm not Tanzanian. I did not grow up in Tanzania. And so for me to come and be able to actually improve capacity here, the first step is to really understand what the doctors here are experiencing, what barriers they are having, what kind of organizational barriers there are, the patient barriers to understand what they face before I could really kind of wrap my head around the idea of what can I do to try to improve things or to increase local capacity to actually treat the children. So yeah, it took a few years to kind of really get a good understanding of what the barriers were. Maybe at this point we should mention again iCare. Mm -hmm. So this is an organization that you co-founded and it sounds like that's played quite a big role, would you say, in terms of capacity building? It did, and iCare kind of developed out of Nelson Chow initially, and I kind of spoke about things that we could do to improve cancer care, and we thought it made sense to start here in Mwanza, which is where we were. Um, and its intent was sort of to figure out exactly what I was talking about a little bit. How do you go to an area and understand what the barriers are and how do you decide what sort of things you can do to improve outcomes and to improve education and to improve um, awareness about cancer. And so what happened was once we started talking to everyone and getting an understanding of what the real problems were and the barriers beyond just thinking that it was about money only, which it's not, um, then we realized that there was this huge need and it was really the social support because cancer in general, but pediatric cancer especially, it is complex. The treatments that we use are often strong. They have a lot of side effects and there's a really big need to come on time, to receive treatment on time, to finish their treatment and follow up. And the reason is that the potential for cure is great. You know, in many high resource countries, we have over an 85% cure rate for pediatric cancer. And so the potential here to improve from our 20% starting was enormous. It was a giant survival gap. And so really thinking through not just giving the medicines, but how do you give the medicines? How do you ensure that people are actually coming for them, understanding what they're getting, removing all of the barriers that exist here beyond just my child has cancer, there's also my child has cancer, and how am I going to find money to pay for my next meal? How am I going to provide these fluids that we need for this child when my other child needs medicines for something else? 
And so it, we found there was this really complex social interaction that was limiting a lot of ability for patients to get the best care. So eye care came in to kind of try to develop a uh, social support infrastructure to help give best care for the kids. Okay, what sort of things does that include currently? So currently what it involves is we have a patient navigator mm -hmm. and one of the things that we discovered early on is that patients would come to the hospital and be on other floors and other wards and it was about an average of 40 or so days before we even knew about them on the oncology side. And so one of the things that she does is actually just go up and talk to the doctors and nurses and say, hey, do you have any patients up here who might have a swelling? Do you have any patients who you think might have cancer? And what we saw is as we were started talking to the different doctors, the nursing staff and the healthcare team, um, they started calling us and saying, hey, we have a patient up here who we think maybe has cancer. Do you want to come talk to them? And so what we were able to do is find patients earlier and then eye care could come in and help patients to get the diagnostic test they need, to get the laboratory testing that they need so we could get to the diagnosis sooner. And, and after doing that, the time the diagnosis went from about 42 days down to about 16 days. So it was a pretty big drop, um, which was great. And then the other thing that she does is provides teaching for all new diagnoses, what is cancer? Most people have never heard the word, or if they had, they have an association, a very negative association with someone they know who has died from it. And so reframing the discussion around pediatric cancer, we do have treatment available for many of these diseases, and many of these treatments can be done here in Tanzania. And so just talking to families, um, a lot of myths surrounding cancer, mm. you know, where it comes from, um, that it's a curse and other things, so addressing those. And then we also have a clinic coordinator, and her job is to make sure patients come when they're supposed to. So they're supposed to come every two weeks. If they don't show up, she'll call and talk to the families and say, hey, you missed your appointment. What, what are the reasons why? And if it's we couldn't afford to have the bus fare to come there to see you, and, and then we're able to send money to the family so they can come for their clinic appointments. And the last thing that we've recently done for supportive infrastructure is the average travel time for our patients because we are the only center in the entire lake region. So we serve about 15 million people average travel time was about six hours each way for patients to come to see us. So we've recently established a hostel and so the hostel patients can stay for free, no charge. We have a nurse who lives there who's able to give medications and watch the kids. Someone provides two meals a day for them and so we're able to actually help a lot of kids to get the care they need. I think you mentioned to me before about how you have now seen an improvement in mortality. Sure. And so what are your numbers looking like now? And also what do you think are the biggest bang for your buck in terms of what's really worked? So I'd say in 2014 we had a 20% survival rate and about a 55% treatment abandonment rate and that was a one-year overall survival and now so four years later, since we started doing all of these interventions, our survival rate is about 55% and our abandonment rate is under 20%. And so it's made a huge difference the last few years. And honestly, the thing that made the biggest difference was the social support. It was not the chemotherapy provision that was available. It was really the infrastructure to allow patients to come for their treatment and to stay and finish their treatment. And I think that has made the biggest difference, that and the education and awareness. Mm. So we're 
we're seeing now, the other big thing is that many people come very late. And so a common thing is they come at a very late stage and it is often more difficult to treat. So we've also done a community awareness campaigns. So gone into the communities, um, discussed pediatric cancer, signs and symptoms, things to look for. And so over the last few years, we used to have about 80 new diagnoses per year. As of last year, we had about 220 new diagnoses that we we're seeing. That's still only about 15% of what we would expect to see based on the population and how young the population is here. The 15 million population and half are under the age of 15. So we expect a much higher number. So it means that we still have a lot of work to do to get into the communities and set up more satellite clinics and more options for people and education so that they recognize cancer and are able to um, get diagnoses earlier. Wow, I mean, that's incredible to hear the numbers and the improvement. And honestly, it is, there are bad days. There are bad days, certainly when you are working here and you see something that happens that you know anywhere else in the world, potentially there would be a different outcome. And things here that children who die from anemia because they weren't able to get a blood transfusion in time, which unfortunately happens with more frequency than we'd like to, to see. So when you have those kind of days, yes, you do have to take a step back. And you get frustrated sometimes thinking that why did this patient die? I don't understand. We could have done something more. We, we should be doing something more. And then you take a step back and really look at it from the bird's eye view and see we have doubled survival in four years. We have reduced abandonment. More people are actually finishing. So even when we do have our bad days and frustrations, it is kind of nice to be able to go back and see that what we are doing and long hours and all of that are, are making a difference. And so it, it's, um, it keeps you going. Yeah, I mean, you guys work really hard. <laughs> I've yeah. definitely seen it's that. It's being a, an N of one means that, um, unfortunately, you wear a lot of different hats. And so, you know, in my job back in America at Duke, I do one thing. I'm a very specialized person. I do pediatric brain tumors. That is what I do all day. And here, I'm much more diverse. I kind of do all cancers, all everything else. But on top of that, you're also oftentimes the pharmacist. You're also the radiologist reading the x-rays. You're, you know, seeing, seeing patients. You're seeing patients in clinic. You're the one that's seeing them inpatient. You're doing consults all at the same time. And so it's, it's a lot. And it's not uncommon for many of the physicians here to be stretched very thin because what's expected is there's a, a large patient need and not a lot of people to, to fill the roles, unfortunately. If you want to hear more about what Dr. Schrader is doing, check out the iCare website. That's i-ccare.org where you can also donate. I really hope you found that as inspiring as I did and we can't wait to share the second half of our interview which is coming soon. In part two we discuss sustainability and the future of the paediatric oncology service, the multidisciplinary team, how you can get involved and we also touch on personal motivation for working in the field of global oncology. You can keep up to date by following us on Twitter at Global Onc Pod or check out our website globaloncologypodcast.com where you can find key references for each episode. I've been your host, Dr. Katie Piddock, and you've been listening to the Global Oncology Podcast. Mm-hmm.